Genesis chapter 14. And right as Abram is walking along, recovering from his ordeal down in Egypt and his foolish sin, he's walking along and we have this narrative, this story of Abram when suddenly it all changes. And we have this discussion of (laughs) these thugs. Now, it calls them kings, but actually they were thugs. Mike, if you'd bring up my PowerPoint. Um, uh, There are these thugs, and what they are are little, like, gang leaders, okay, who are the Crips Crips and the Bloods and and, uh, some of these gang leaders. That's what they were like. Only they called themselves kings, okay? And, um, well, I'll introduce you to some of them, but what they do is they rebel against the big king who's over all of them, and the big king says, enough! And he goes out and he says, I'm going to put things in order, and he squashes all these little thugs, and they go running, and some of them, it says, fall into tar pits, And some of them hide in the caves. And down in verse 13, at the very end of verse 13, verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 12, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. I'm picking up in verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, He called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer, he's the big king, okay? After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people. Keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to enter Eshkol and Mamre, let them have their share. So far the reading of God's Word. 
This is the first battle of war recorded in the Bible. Now, the greatest war movie I've ever seen, and I don't know how many of you, you may be too young to remember uh, this great movie by Steven Spielberg starring Tom Hanks and Matt Damon, entitled Saving Private Ryan. And it is a powerful film. Whatever you think of the merits of the film, it is a powerful picture of the great courage and heroism of that generation that, that saved our world from the tyranny of Hitler. And, and it was a marvelous picture of courage and bravery. And you know the storyline where there is this one private named Ryan whose three other brothers have been killed in action. And the government finds out that there is one son left to this poor woman, this mother. And they say, we must send a team behind enemy lines to get Private Ryan and to rescue him and bring him home so that his mother will have at least one son. And Tom Hanks plays uh, Captain John Miller, who leads the patrol uh, on D-Day up behind enemy lines, and they rescue Private Ryan. And it's a great film, Saving Private Ryan. There they are, there. I call today's first point, Saving Private Lot. Because Lot is captured by these thugs and by the biggest, biggest thug of all, Ketaleomer. In the middle of this story, we see these kings, and they are like like I said, gang leaders, the Bloods and the Crips, and, and uh, they're very uh, swaggering and confident among themselves. And they get sick and tired of Ketaleomer telling them what to do. And um, they rebel against him, and then he comes in and lets them have it. Who are these thugs? Who are these kings here? There, it's a long list. I didn't ring them all, but first is Bera, king of Sodom. And his name means in evil. There's a name. Then there's Beersha, king of Gomorrah, and his name means in wickedness. Why would your mother call you that? Then there's Shinab, king of Adma. His name means hater of father. And then there's Shemeber. His name means strong name. And that sounds okay until you remember how uh, the people at Babel and Babel tried to make a strong name for themselves. And so it's synonymous with the arrogance of man trying to live without God. Here they are, these thugs, and a priceless bunch. Who do they, I was thinking, who are they like, these guys? And, um, well, you remember Louis de Palma in Taxi didn't have a kind bone in his body. Just nasty and, uh, and self-centered and selfish. That's the way, please understand these leaders in the world were in the ancient world. A priceless bunch. But Ketaleomer comes and puts them in their place, and it's a good day for him because he actually captures all their people, he gets all their food, he gets all their their goods. We just didn't take the time to read the longer story. It's a good day. Ketaleomer uh, takes all the booty and all the people as his servants, but he makes one tactical mistake. What's that? He captures Lot, Abram's nephew. 
and one of these prisoners escapes and comes running to Abram. He says, Abram, they have captured your nephew Lot, and they've taken him prisoner. And Scripture goes to great lengths to point out he is Abram's brother's son, and Abram comes to the rescue and rescues this foolish boy we saw last week from Martin's sermon, this foolish man, this self-centered man who wants, the, who wants the Garden of Eden without the Lord of the Garden of Eden, who is impudent and disrespectful to his elders. And Abram goes after that lost one and rescues him. And who does that remind you of, by the way? Who is it that leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one who is lost, the foolish one, the one who can't take care of himself. Who does that remind you of? And one more time, do you see Abram is a picture of Jesus. He is a type, a shadow of Jesus who loves the foolish, who loves the wayward, who loves the lost. And he goes after him. And with cleverness and with skill as a military commander, uh, the story tells us, he takes the point and then he rescues Not only Lot, but all the people of the town of the plains and all of the plunder. And he brings it back. What a great war story, saving private Lot. And so you would think the story ends there. Nice story, nice Bible story. But the story's just beginning. The real drama is now about to occur because the greater story is about Abram and what is going on inside his heart. And the story of the Bible is always about the heart. It's always about your heart and my heart as we relate to God Most High. And so what happens? These petty kings, it's really, it's not what it's about. But now, Kingdoms are coming into conflict. The kingdom of God and the kings of this world and the kingdom of this world one more time will come into conflict and will happen again and again and again throughout Scripture. There will be a temptation that comes to Abram. Tension. What will Abram do now that he is victorious? Successful. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of servants. He's got a lot of power. What will he be like? What will he do? Earlier on, it says he became an ally of the Amorites for this. Does this mean he's giving up the faith and has become like the pagan Amorites? Will he become arrogant? Will he boast in his military superiority? Will he keep all the booty that he's taken as plunder in his victory? How will he deal now with the king of Sodom, Barah? Right? Bera, the Louis de Palma of the ancient Near East who comes to meet him. You see, will Abram become just one more of these petty kings of the earth? How will he respond to the temptation, to the offer of wealth and of reputation? This is the drama that now unfolds before us. In the distance, we are told in verse 17, across the plain comes Bera, the king of Sodom, coming out to meet him in the king's valley. But just before 
Bera arrives, just before the king of Sodom gets there, what happens? Another king shows up. Out of nowhere. Someone named Melchizedek. And there is this tension that is raised right away. And there is tension in your life. Salem, which means shalom, peace, righteousness, the way of the Lord. Or Sodom, evil, arrogance, pleasure, living for money, living for pleasure, living for power. Tension, tension in the Christian life. So just before the king of Sodom gets there, suddenly Melchizedek shows up, and we know nothing about him. That's, the writer of Hebrews actually says, we don't know anything about this great guy. Uh, he's no genealogy is given. Uh, he's mysterious. He's just devoted to God most high, like a son of God bursting forth into history for a single moment, declaring blessing, and then he's caught off up to heaven again or wherever he goes. We don't know. His name, Melchizedek, it means uh, Melech, king, Zedek, righteousness. He's the king of righteousness, and he's called the priest of God Most High. He comes from Salem, again, shalom, which means peace. Now start to let these pieces fall together. Do you see? A priest of God Most High who is a king of righteousness. Who does this remind you of? Who is this? Who is the Prince of Peace? Who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Righteous One, the Holy One of God? If you're reading through the Gospel of Mark right now and the demons cry out, they say to Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate manifestation, visitation somehow of Jesus Christ rescuing his person, his, his child, Abram, as the temptation is coming across the plain. So Melchizedek comes, and this battle, the real battle, is about to be fought in Abram's heart, the lure of the world. You see, the world will say, Sodom is about to say, become like us. That's what the world says, become like us. But Melchizedek brings out something. What is he carrying with him? Did you remember? Melchizedek, he's bringing something with him. What does he bring? Bread and wine. What's this all about this, in, this, in this moment? Well, certainly Abram is tired and weary from the battle. Yes, of course, he needs nourishment and its fellowship. Yes, but what is it? You'd have to be blind if you're a Christian at all to not see that on that last night when our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and wine. This is a sacramental moment right here as God is nourishing his child through his priest. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
He who believes in me will live forever. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he who eats the bread and drinks the wine, he will live forever. It is nourishment of the soul that is coming to Abram now as the very temptation trudges across the plain to meet him. And then he blesses him. I'm going to look more at this next Sunday morning. Don't miss next Sunday morning. We're coming back to this. Martin is going to preach on the retreat on this passage as well on what happens. But just notice, he says, he blesses him in verses 19 and 20. He says, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. He says, Lift up your eyes and see. Meet your God. What do you need more than anything else in your life? What do you need? You need money? Well, you need some money. Need a house? Yeah, you do need a house or a home or somewhere to lay your head at night. Do you need companions? Yes, that's important. But what you need more than anything else is to know God Most High and to know the blessing of God Most High that is mediated through the Prince of Salem, the Prince of Peace, the Priest of God. That's what you need. That's what Abram needs. That's what I need. That's what you need. Lift up your eyes and see God Most High creator of heaven and earth, the one who gives you the victory, the one who gave you the strength to earn your wealth. See him and believe his blessing is upon you. Tension in your life. What you have now, very quickly, is how we encounter this priest, king of righteousness and peace. And how Abram then renounces and rejects the offering of Sodom. How Abram confesses his total dependence on his king. And how he draws close to God. And how you must draw close to God before you can draw away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Friends, this is the Christian life lived out in these short verses right before our eyes. This is it. Have you encountered the priest king of righteousness? Maybe there's someone here today, somebody made you come to church or someone invited you to church. Or maybe you've fallen away and you haven't been walking with the Lord for very long. Or you haven't been walking with the Lord for a long time, I should say. Could I suggest that today... Jesus Christ has come to you to encourage you, has tapped you on the shoulder, has said, wake up, wake up. Turn your attention, turn your heart again to God Most High. You need a priest. You need someone who will make atonement for your sins. I am that great priest. You need a sacrifice for your sins. I am that sacrifice, Jesus said. You need peace for the midst of the turmoil of your life. I am Shalom. I am Salem. I am the Prince of Peace. I don't know how people live without the peace of God. How do people live without the forgiveness of sins? How do people live without hope for the future? How do people live 
just believing all we are are a bunch of molecules from dust we are to dust we go and we become worm food and that's it. How do you live? We need Jesus Christ and we need the encounter with our priest, King. Today, I bet he's tapping someone on the shoulder here today, saying, lift up your eyes, open up your heart, receive me again because I love you and I want to nourish you and strengthen you and I want to have a fellowship meal with you today. How will Abram respond? You know, this is what's so interesting about these two stories. Here's Lot the loser, Lot the fool, and there's grace for Lot. I like that. Maybe we have some fools here today. There's one standing in front of you. Okay? Maybe we have someone who makes bad choices in life. Okay, I'm, I'm that kind of person. And there's grace. And, 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 you know, you hear the great evangelists, and they, they preach to those who, who know their desperate need. But what about the successful person? What about the upstanding person? What about the, the guy who's made a lot of money, the woman who has a great reputation, who has it all together. What about them? Is there any grace for them? Well, it's not easy to get grace when you're rich. Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than what? For the camel to go through the eye of a needle. Is there any grace for the successful person? What do you think? What you have right here is grace that comes to the successful person, to Abram. It's really, uh, it's really quite startling. He needs grace, too. So if you're here today and, and, and you, know, you just say, you know, my life's fine. I have it all together on my own. Thank you very much. I don't need the Lord. You're mistaken. Abram's the top of the heap right now. Top of the world. New York, New York. He needs grace. He needs God's grace, too. Because someone like Bera is coming to him, the king of Sodom, this, this Louis de Palma, Danny DeVito character. And it's only six Hebrew words that he grunts out uh, in, in, in front of him. And he says, he says to him, um, give me people. You keep money. He wants the slaves. He wants the, the means of productivity, you see. And he's just like a worldly person. He he's over-exaggerates who he is. Abram's in charge now, not Louis de Palma, not King Bera, but he exaggerates his importance as if he could make any demands on Abram. In the ancient world, everybody knew he had no right, no claims at all. What a fool. But you know, there are people like this Bera in your life every one of our lives, there are people who come, and they are the influencers that call us back to the world, that actually tell us how we should live apart from the way of God. And for some of us, it's a gang, and a gang leader. Our, our young men and young girls, you know, they're the, you know we, talk to them about, we talk to them about peer pressure, I'm so grateful that Brandon and Josiah teach about 
peer pressure in our youth group. But guess what? Teenagers are not the only people who struggle with peer pressure. All of us struggle with peer pressure. The expectations and the seductions come. Be like us, the world says. Who is that in your life? I don't know who that is in your life, but I can guarantee that there's someone like that in your life. So maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a neighbor or a colleague at work. Maybe it's a teacher at school. And what, what they do is, you know, they're right there. So this God thing in your life, get over it. This God thing, get over it. Come on, eat, drink, be merry, come party, get rich, enjoy. There's somebody like that in your life, bossing you around telling you to turn away from God. And what you have in this tension, I, have to, I believe this, is a picture of what Abram would become had Melchizedek not shown up. Abram would just be like Bera and Shinab and whatever their names were. He just, will he become just one more of these thugs? What about you? Will you become one more of the thugs of the world? What does Abram do? He renounces and rejects the offering of Sodom. Mothers and fathers, what do you teach your children about the friends that they select? You know, the friends that our children make are so crucial. Who do you hang out with to the teenagers in the church? Who do you hang out with? Who do you listen to? Who sets the pace for you? We teach our children, be careful who you make as friends. We pray for godly and good friends for our children. And you get out, you know, do you, do you tell your kids when the drugs come out in the room, it's time for you to call me, I'll pick you up middle of the night, wherever you are, it's time for you to leave, right? It's time for you to leave. When the knives come out, when the gang gets rough, when it's, it's time for you to leave, right? We teach our children that. What does Abram do? He renounces Sodom, king of evil. Now, 2,000 years ago, after Pentecost, as the, as the infant church was being born, uh, they took church membership very seriously. In the ancient church, they took it very seriously. They had long catechism classes, and you could only join the church in many parts of the ancient church on Easter morning, and they, uh, they would uh, make you wear a white gown to symbolize the new righteousness that's yours in Christ, and they would baptize the new believer and pour the water over their heads, and it would sprinkle down over them, and they were washed. And then they were asked a question. We Presbyterians don't do it this way so much. They would ask a question as the whole church was gathered around, perhaps out in the field or in the house. And they would say, Do you renounce the devil and all his ways? That's a pretty good question. 
We don't do that on the, the church membership Sundays, but maybe we should. We, do, we, have other good, we have other very important questions that we ask people. But you see, what Abram is doing here is he's renouncing the devil and all his ways. And he is saying, I am allied with God Most High. And he confesses his total dependence on the king, right? He says, I have lifted my hand in an oath to heaven. What's that? He joined the church. <laughs> he stood up publicly before God and the world, and he said, I belong to God and his people on an oath. And he looks Sodom, King Bera, right in the eye. He says, I belong to God most high. Melchizedek is my pastor. And, I, and what did he give him? He tithed. He gave him a tenth of all that he had. Now, there's a concept. Some of us have learned this. Some of us haven't. You know, we take collections. We're not going to be able to pay the bills of ministry without that. Now, I, I know if you're a single parent here, and nobody, this, the elders of this church would never ask you to take food from your child's mouth to put money in the offering plate. We want to give you food. We want to give you money if you need it. Okay? Can I be clear on this? This, this strict tithing idea. It's born here, but we're not... Uh, tithing is born, but, oh, you know, we're not those kind of legalistic people. But I tell you, have you learned to honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your possession? Why would you do that? Just to pay the bills of the church? No. You are declaring with the first fruits of your possession your total allegiance to God Most High who blessed you and gave you what you have. That's what you're doing when you worship God. It's a startling thing. It's so startling that the writer of Hebrews jumps all over that in the book of Hebrews. Well, what he's doing here is he is confessing confessing his total allegiance to the king. And that's the big question here now. Is it your experience? Do the people that you live with, do the people, your children, your parents, do they know that you have sworn allegiance, you've raised your hand on oath to God most high and said, he is my God and I am his child. Jesus Christ said in John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is this fulfillment of Abram here who is just utterly sold out to his God. Are you sold out to your God? We're talking, did you see in the bulletin, the little reflection in the bulletin today about um, uh, our vegetarian friends who are only partially committed? The one woman, she says... I'm a vegetarian, but I really like bacon, she said. And um, I really like bacon. And so she's, they're, they're called, the New York Times calls them flexitarians. That's not presbyterians, that's flexitarians. And the flexitarian is the person who says, well, I have made this commitment as long as it's convenient. All this influence is yours. All this power is yours. Come on, let's join the crowd. 
Join the crowd, Abram. Like Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's yours. But Abram has had communion with God Most High. And he says, I'm letting it go, Bera. I'm letting it go. God has blessed me. God will bless me. God will take care of me. I'm doing it God's way. And he confesses his dependence on his king. And if we conclude with this as the springboard to our sermon next week, it's this. You must draw close to God before you can draw away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's never the other way around. It's never the other way around. You know? The alcoholic who's pacing in front of the bar. Should I go in? I'm just going to go in and sit on the stool. Right? What's going to happen next? The guy out in front of the adult bookstore. Should I go in? Do I really need to pollute my mind with that stuff? You know, and dishonor my wife and, and uh, set a bad example for my kids? And I don't think so. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. What's going to happen? What has to happen is that you draw close to God every day, every morning, every hour, every hour. You draw close to God. Abram would have been a sitting duck for Bera. Abram would have become a, a thug like everybody else. But Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and peace, comes to him. The priest comes to him and rescues him. That's what you need. That's what I need, you see. Do you know and worship God most high? His eyes are lifted up, and he sees God most high, and he is strengthened and made new. Listen, you walk out these doors today, and Bera is waiting. The, the, the king of Sodom is waiting for you. He's waiting. Will you be ready? Have you been strengthened? Have you drawn near to God most high? Do you see him? the glorious king of your life, creator of heaven and earth, Lord over all. Worship him. Worship him. Let's pray together. Our Father, right now, we, we sense the sanity that you brought to Abram. We thank you that he rescued Lot and he showed us your rescuing heart for us and every one of us who sits here in one sense we're like Lot but Lord I'm sitting I'm standing in, in, in a congregation here of educated talented successful hard-working really upstanding citizens We need grace. We need your grace. We need to renounce the offering of Sodom, the ways of the world that says, come be like us, come be like me. We look first to our priest king, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for Jesus, who is the perfect lamb of God, who spotless lamb of God, who takes away our sin and who was the priest with clean hands and a pure heart, 
and who is called in the book of Revelation King of kings and Lord of lords. And we commit ourselves afresh this Lord's day to you. Help us not to sit in the seat of the scoffers or the mockers or the ungodly. If we're involved in gangs or if we're involved in a club or associations that mock you, O oh Lord, we would turn from them. But we thank you that that priest king leads us to God Most High. That every blessing we have comes from God Most High. Every glory that we enjoy is because you are glorious. Thank you. Help us now to worship you as we sing. Send us forth with power, with faith, with righteousness, with a happy confidence that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise.